And so please turn with me in God's Word to Exodus chapter 4. What is it that God will say to us from this passage today? So I want to read, and, and uh, last week I was away, but the week before we were uh, in this particular part of Exodus, and I would started bringing a message, but it was a longer message that I could not do in a single week, and so I'm going to continue with that message today, but we're going to pick it up in Exodus chapter 4. Reading from verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand, he caught it, and it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Again the Lord said to him, Put your hand inside your cloak. Put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous, like snow. And God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may well believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs, or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I'm slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him. And take in your hand the staff with which you shall do the signs. So just so far, uh, the reading of God's Word. Lord, thank you for uh, this privilege we have of having, Lord, that which you have preserved, that which you have delivered uh, for us to hear, enabling us to know what we need to know about life and godliness. And Lord, even the application in this very day that we live. And so may we, Lord, be as those who respond to your word in, in a way that would be worthy of your name, we pray. Amen. Well, I thought I'd begin the sermon this morning by uh, raising uh, before your attention two words, two particular words that I think most of you, many of us, use very, very often. Uh, whether we are younger people or older people, there comes a time, occasions, when we string together these two words, yes, but. 
Familiar? Ever use those words? Yes, but. Well, I did check a, a formal definition, and I'll give that to you. We could use the polite definition and say it as a phrase to show that you agree with what is being said. Yes, I agree with what is being said, but there is another fact. There are other facts that you may need to consider. Yes, but. Well, I want to present a, a blunter understanding that I think is more applicable in our context, and especially as we look at this passage as God deals uh, with Moses. It could be said that this phrase means it is when we acknowledge what we need to be doing. It's what we need to be doing because God has told us, because God has said it. But then come up with excuses. Again, to just be general, I have two daughters writing exams in our home at the moment. I'm regularly reminding them that they need to study. <laughs> Familiar to parents? Yes, they will say, I know I need to study, but I just want to do this other thing. <laughs> I just want to do another thing. Perhaps another common example would be, yes, I know I need to exercise. I sit down far too often. I'm very static and immobile. I need, yes, I need to exercise. But it's so hard to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Or I'll start next week. But let's bring it back to the church. Bring it back to Central. I, we're a gathered group of believers, most of us members of this church. I have no doubt in my mind that there are those, most of us this morning would be say, yes. I want Central Baptist Church to be a healthy community of faith. What does that look like? And, and again, uh, many of us would agree and say, yes, it, it, it would be so wonderful to be in a church that is constantly growing in loving and kind fellowship, where people are reaching out to one another, showing compassion, showing generosity, showing hospitality. It would be so wonderful if we could grow more and more in, in sincere heartfelt worship. So when we gather together, there aren't distractions and we can give ourselves uh, to God and, and God captivates our minds and our hearts and we come before Him and submit to Him and worship Him. We want that. And as I've known Central, Central has always wanted an active missions and evangelism program. We know that we need to reach out to the lost. We know that the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is good news to sinful people who are under the condemnation and judgment of God. We have the news. We have the solution. And, and we believe it. And, and, and so we want to send people to the ends of the earth. We, we agree that we should be involved in evangelism in EE3 and, and, and speaking to our friends and speaking to our neighbors. And we agree that we need to pray. Yes, we are dependent on God. We must gather together. We need to pray. We need to ask God to be at work among us. And, and yes, we need provision and we need resources. And in all of these things, gathered together in one pot, we all agree God must be glorified. Yes, all of these things, yes. But for me, there's a limit to what I can currently contribute to all of this. Is that, is that too harsh? See, like Moses, there's no doubt that Moses was horrified by the injustices that Israel 
was suffering. Under the hand of Pharaoh. He was without compassion, merciless, relentless. And so Moses, we know, he, he acted impulsively because he wanted these people, the people of God, to be delivered from slavery. He wanted them to be freed, to be, uh, to, to be removed to a, a land of their own where they could worship the Lord their God. And, and we can add to that. This man had an encounter with God second to none. Imagine what it must have been like at that burning bush that was not consumed. And God specifically called him. The writing was on the wall. Moses, this is what I want you to do. He knew that the people were groaning under the weight of slavery and oppression. So, summarize, he passionately wanted them delivered. But he kept coming up with excuses. His mind was filled with obstacles, questions, and these things kept him back from going forward, taking the plunge, and just doing what God had instructed him to do. And so I want to apply that from this passage this morning. As you sit here today, and I've come along in my own life, and uh, want to be passionate about seeing God's work done in excellence at Central Baptist Church. But I have to ask myself the question coming to this passage. Am I like Moses? Are you in any way like Moses at this particular point? Yes, yes, yes. But coming up with questions and explanations to avoid responsibility. Now, I did deal with two of these objections in the previous sermon. I'm going to run through them very quickly. I've given them different headings to bring a slightly different emphasis. And the first one I called, I am calling the excuse of unworthiness. His first excuse was Moses asking God in chapter 3 verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And so we did see in that particular message that Moses, rightly so, felt inadequate and, and unworthy to do this great work. Uh, he felt he didn't have what, what it would take to do what God called him to do. And, and, and some of us feel like that at times. And, and God's answer to Moses and God's answer to us today, we need to receive this in verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. And so know that in your ministry. There, there, there is the, the confidence, the assurance, and, and, and even if we look at the end of the, 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 the passage that brings us the great commission, and I will be with you to the end of the age. The promise of God not to abandon us, not to leave us. So God using undeserving people, no doubt. None of us is worthy. And he does so, and he brings about success in what he asks us to do because he is the enabler. He's the one that gets the credit. Oh, folk, we are unworthy. We are inadequate. We are ordinary people. But we've been singing this morning, he is the ancient of days. He is this big and powerful and wonderful and sovereign. A God that will accomplish every single of his intended purposes. So that was the first excuse. The second excuse, if the Lord 
is with us, of course, who can be against us. But the second excuse is what I've called the excuse of ignorance. A very important one. Last time, I tried to show you, and again, I will say this, that even in the mind of a child, obedience and cooperation depends on, anybody remember? What does it depend on? Who? Who says so? Remember that? Who says so? You, you, you give weight to the particular person who's commanding you to do something. And, and so the question in this context is, well, what is the source of authority? And, and Moses here is asking, what shall I tell them? What is his name? What is God's name? Uh, who is he that we should listen to him? And, and so it's an excellent question for us, even in our day, to be thinking about before or as we plunge into ministry, who are we actually serving? Like Moses, we need to be sure that we are representing and serving the God who reveals Himself in the Scriptures, not having an understanding and making declarations and having beliefs about God that are informed by biblical revelation. And not from imagination, not from speculation. Making strong theological assertions on what we think or what we would like God to be like is simply unacceptable. We need to know the truth. We need to inform our ignorance of who God actually is. And he says to Moses, God said to Moses, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you. And, and we expanded on that, on, that, on that name of I am, the self-existent, the immutable, the eternal, independent God. He's the God of the Exodus, God of salvation. So that's last time. Just a bit of revision. Two points I want to make today. So it's my third excuse. I've called it the excuse of doubt. I've been a Christian for 40 plus years. Probably 45 years. And there are still occasions when I doubt or have doubts in my heart and mind. And so doubt is something I'm convinced any one of us will from time to time have to face. And we see in this passage, in spite of all that had already unfolded in this encounter with God, Moses, this great man of God that we have come to know, has doubts as, where, as to whether God could do actually what he said he would do. He doubts the authority that God has given him. And he's concerned and doubts stir within him because he's concerned about the fear of rejection by people. Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say the Lord did not appear to you. Well, God answered this objection by giving Moses two signs immediately on the spot and a sign for later on in the narrative. And I want to just briefly mention these signs and I want you to think about yourself being present and perhaps even in the, in, in the shoes of Moses. So the first sign, he, he, he says to Moses, well, uh, you've got a staff in your hand, just a stick. Take that stick and throw it on the ground. 
throws it on the ground, and we see this in verse 2 to 4, it turns into a snake. Now again, we need to be thinking and asking, well, why a snake? There's a message, there's a message. Because the Lord is showing Israel, He's showing Moses, that He's greater than Pharaoh, who had a headdress made up of a snake. A snake that they worshipped in Egypt. Then we have the second sign, causing the hand to be leprous and then whole again. So with a sign, now don't forget that leprosy back in those days was one of these diseases that could not be healed. People who got leprosy were normally sent out to another town, isolated from everybody else. So God says to him, put your hand in your pocket, uh, and he pulls his hand out and it's leprous, and he puts his hand back in the pocket and it's healed. And then there's the third sign. In fact, let me back up over there and just say that the Lord is showing him something over here. You think leprosy is a serious condition that cannot be healed? Well, I want to tell you that the people of, Egypt, uh, people of Israel in Egypt have a more serious condition, but not beyond my ability to redeem them. The third sign is to do with water being poured out uh, from the Nile. And then it becomes blood on the ground, verse 9. Again, the context helps us. The Egyptians considered the Nile to be the source of life, their life source. And so the sign would demonstrate that the Lord had sovereignty and authority over Egypt, over the Nile. Okay, so let's take those signs and see how we can apply them. What implications can we draw from them? The first, in the first instance, it helps us to address or remove doubt. That thing that stirs every now and again inside of us. All three of these signs have the purpose of removing Moses' fear and lack of confidence in the authority of God and that the people would believe that God had appeared to Moses. Okay, that would impact them. So I asked myself the question, well, what signs do we have? Do we have any signs that can help us to remove doubt and, and reinforce the reality that God has given, that, that, that God has authority and that He's given us a task to do? So just two comments I want to make that I hope would be of help to you. We have the witness of the Scriptures. Don't forget that this Bible is not just a religious book. It's not a collection of religious writings. It is a document. It is that which God initiated and superintended in leading men to write as they were led by the Spirit. And that has been preserved for us in this process of what we call it becoming a canon. Uh, and, and therefore, separate from anything else in the world, we have the sign that God is speaking to us. God has delivered a message to us about Himself and about us and about the world and about salvation and about many other things. So that's the one side of it. We could go to a particular book of the Bible to, to be more specific. And a particular book that I have in mind is John's Gospel. Remember John's Gospel? That uh, verse that brings the whole book into clarity in John chapter 20, uh, verse 31, he says, these are written. So in other words, all that was written around the various miracles or signs in the gospel of John, these are written 
so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing you may have life in His name. There's a sign. But there's another sign, and this is a, a more important, well, more important is a wrong statement, it's extremely important sign, the resurrection of Jesus. Paul said it, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, our faith is futile, in vain. And so we need to look back in terms of the historicity, the accuracy of the fact that Jesus lived a life, that he was crucified, that his dead body was laid in a tomb, and that three days later he rose physically from the dead. No one has been able to disprove that reality. In fact, quite the opposite is what the research shows. Jesus raised from the dead, authenticating, validating the message and the work and the person of Jesus and the results, the consequences of all that he achieved. And, and giving to us the resurrection of Jesus has a bearing on us inadequate Ordinary people, those of us that God calls in min, into ministry who stutter and stammer and, and have all sorts of shortcomings, what does the Apostle Paul do for the Ephesians when he prays for them that their eyes be enlightened, that they may see, that we may see what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? What is the nature of that power? That raised Jesus from the dead. There's no need to shiver in your boots. There's no need to doubt that God will use you. There's no need to stand back and do nothing because God does have the authority. God does have the power. And God is working through every single believer as those who are His ambassadors. There's a second implication. It's not just the one of eradicating doubt and uh, giving us a confidence in God. But it also urges obedience. I don't know if you noticed in analyzing these signs, but each one of them, each, in each instance, God instructs Moses to do something which is very simple. Anybody can throw a stick on the ground, anybody can put a hand in the pocket, and anybody can take some water out of the Nile. Simple. Pick up a snake by the tail. I don't want to do that so much, but, but I could do it if I have to do it. Put the hand back in the pocket. What's he showing us over here? He's teaching Moses, and I believe he's teaching us a very simple and important lesson in simple faith. You see, Moses, if you just do what I tell you to do in basic obedience, leave the rest to me. Preachers can't convert congregations. EE3 participants can't convert people that they share the gospel with. They just do what God has told them to do. We preachers preach what God has told us to preach. Leave the rest to Him. Put our heads on the pillow. We sleep peacefully at night because God is the one who brings about all that needs to be done. We just respond in simple obedience. God is the all-powerful one. God has authority. You don't have authority. Preachers don't have authority. Some of them think they do, but they don't. God is the one who has authority. We are simply servants. 
I find it interesting that we don't give enough tension, and I think it's to our uh, disadvantage. We speak a lot about the Great Commission, and we should do. Make disciples of the nations. But we seldom hear messages and emphasis, and I'm guilty of this. All authority, Jesus said, has been given to me. Go. Simple obedience. The point being that we disciples are simply to be obedient, knowing that the authority and power belongs to God. God says that He will bring about the miraculous. It's God who changes people's lives. It's God who changes nations. It's God who raises up rulers and brings rulers down. You and I, we ought to concern ourselves with obedience. Simple obedience. Right, the last excuse, the fourth excuse in this context anyway, the excuse of incompetence. Kind of a repeat of something earlier. After all Moses has experienced and all that God has said and done, responding to his questions and obstacles and excuses, one would think that Moses would now just step up to the plate and get on with it. But he doesn't. He doesn't. He's back on the issue of unsuitability and lack of ability. Verse 10. Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent in the, uh, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. Now, it's true. All of us, most of us, I can only speak for myself and what I know of people that I engage with, shake in our boots when we have to speak to people in public especially. But even one-on-one, -on -one. it's difficult. And, and most of us would prefer to back off and, and, and not be involved. We, we prefer not to pray in public. We prefer not to share the gospel to a friend or colleague. We prefer to talk to a friend rather than approach a visitor after a service. But God responds here, very interestingly, giving Moses an answer as to why this should not be an obstacle in ministry. The Lord said to him, verse 11, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? God is the giver and remover of all gifts. You think you've got gifts? Wonderful, you may have gifts. God gave them to you. All your capacities, all your competencies, all your abilities. The point is, Moses, if you need to speak, says God, I will provide and enable you to speak. If people need the ability to hear, God will open the, their ears. And so the assurance given to Moses, and since God is the creator, he's the one we worship, he's the designer of each instrument uniquely, don't hesitate what he's purposed you to do. That great encouragement. You don't have to be like the next woman or guy or whatever. Just be yourself. God has made you as his instrument. Now therefore go, he says in verse 12, I will be with your mouth and teach you, and, and teach you what you shall speak. And then God adds what he said before. He promises to help Moses. I repeat in verse 12, he said, but I will be with you. Now just an aside here, an example that I stumbled onto. Well, I've known it, I think, for a while. Did you know that John Bunyan was a, uh, a mender of pots and pans? 
He did not attend Cambridge or Oxford University to be educated. But John Bunyan was used of God mightily then, down through the years since his life and all that he wrote, and still today. So I say that as an encouragement to you. Don't put yourself down. God has made you who you are. Obedience, availability, stepping up and doing the job. Well, Moses doesn't seem to hear God. Maybe he doesn't want to hear God. I don't know. And uh, so often we see this. Uh, it doesn't sink in for the moment anyway. But I want to include, uh, conclude. After all this intense engagement, the conversation with God, Moses is still reluctant. And, and, and uh, I wonder if we have the, the, the story recorded for us because it's so true of all of us. Yes, Lord, but. I know, I know I need you, but. It's reluctance. In fact, Moses puts it this way, verse 13. Oh, my Lord, please send someone else. He really does not want to do what God is calling him to do. Well, how do we go from here? Did Moses want to see their liberation? Yes. But he wanted someone else to do it. And I'll get uh, onto this in, in days to come, but... We can see here that God did provide someone else, uh, Aaron, his brother. But eventually Moses did step up to the plate. He did do what God called him to do. And so it does leave us with a challenge. This is a challenge. It's the end of the year. I know we are growing weary, busyness of work and ministry and family. But 2022 will soon be upon us. And I do want to ask that as members and, and friends here at Central, why don't you give some thought to how you would serve the Lord next year? What is God saying to you? How has God equipped you? What are you currently doing? Uh, it's one thing to have good ideas. That's great. But putting those ideas into action. Are you willing, am I willing to set aside the objections and the excuses that sometimes frustrate the ministry. I did think of uh, a passage where Jesus speaks similarly, I thought, and I'll close with this. Luke chapter 9, verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Yes, yes. Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So to another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but... Let me first say farewell to those at my home. And then Jesus makes this statement, and I think it's, it's a soul-searching, challenging statement. No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. And so, folks, let's 
Let's set aside excuses if they are, if they aren't, praise God. But if they are, set them aside. Let's move together in true fellowship and partnership as we hold, hold hands together in obedience to God for the glory of His name, for eternal redemptive purposes. And Lord, I pray for that. We ordinary people in an ordinary small church, Lord, that you would use us as individuals, but also together in obedience to all that you have commanded. May we, Lord, be ambassadors of Christ uh, privately in our own contexts, in the home, uh, but, Lord, also more publicly in the workplace and also, Lord, in the context of the community of faith, serving you wholeheartedly without reserve. Please, Lord, help us to repent from uh, negativity and reluctance instead going forward in ways that would be in keeping with who you are and what you are worthy of. And so this we pray in, Lord, in the name of Jesus and for his kingdom's sake. Amen.